morning. Today's scriptural uh, passage comes from Mark 2, 13 to 17. You can follow along on the PowerPoint behind me. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Mark 2, 13 to 17. This week, looking at the news, um, saw the story of a a man named, or a young man named Otto uh, from uh, Virginia, the University of Virginia, who had uh, managed to find himself in quite a predicament. Number one, he had gone to North Korea, and that already is a challenge enough. But uh, while there, of course, at the age of 21, uh, apparently, he had managed to um, uh, find a uh, uh, what he thought of as a suitable souvenir um, and was uh, trying to take that out with him and um, was uh, in, in back in January is when they caught him with this. Uh, and it came across as following. It says, The accused confessed to the serious offense against the DPRK uh, he had committed the pursuant to the U.S. government's hostile policy toward it in a bid to impair the unity of the people after entering in as a tourist. The example that we see of taking this small item that he had um, is one that uh, brought a challenge to me because, of course, in the United States, we might very well have classified that as a college prank. In Canada, I don't know what we would call it, But certainly you and I all know that it's not unusual to go to someone's home and find a towel sitting on the floor or hanging on the the wall that has the name of a hotel somewhere or an ashtray with the name of a particular place a person has been. And I'm certainly not minimizing that taking those things is still stealing. But what I am saying is that... uh, when I reflect on a man being given a 15-year prison sentence for that type of uh, crime, uh, most people would see that as uh, a bit excessive. And so I was trying to reflect on how Jesus would have probably managed this particular issue. And I couldn't help but remember some of the illustrations, such as a woman found in a very uh, inappropriate relationship with a man and and Christ basically just simply saying, go and sin no more. And the time when we find in the Scripture simply the illustration where Christ will simply say, um, you know, we see some things in this person's behavior that are unacceptable. Tell you what, all of you in the room who have no sin, here's a rock. Go ahead, throw it. 
You know, just Christ was quite good about trying to give teaching while still being forgiving in His Spirit. And so, um, I, I, I don't doubt that uh, the eighth commandment of thou shalt not steal would have been in the, in the ability of Him to teach. But I also recognize that there was a bit of uh, a spirit of forgiveness that, that was, uh, would also be included. Today, as we look at the Scripture in the book of Mark. <clears throat> the Scripture begins in verse uh, 13, and, it, and, and it, it begins right there with a, a very interesting story where Jesus is just walking along. He's with His disciples, reflecting on some various things, but He has made a decision that He wants to befriend some of the people that normally the religious people of his day, would not be friends. And he goes and he, he finds himself and his disciples with a number of other people who were all classified as sinners and tax collectors. And they're eating. Now the situation we have to recognize is that Jesus was not naive. Jesus knew what, he, what situation he was stepping into. He was well aware that tax collectors were classified in the lower quadrant of their society. He was well aware that people did not have great respect for them. He was well aware that most people didn't trust tax collectors because there was an assumption that the tax collectors who worked for the Roman government, even though themselves might very well be Jewish in their own background, and yet... Even, even though they're Jewish in background, working for the Roman government, there was still the ability to get the little bribe on the side, to get the little bit of extra money out of the pot when it's given as a tithe, and that being classified as somewhat acceptable. So the other people in society were not extremely appreciative of this particular group of people, and yet it was those people that Jesus targeted for having a meal with. You know, the, the Pharisees were pretty good about establishing new rules and regulations. Most of those were man-made rules and regulations. Some of them were ones that, of course, we, at that time we're looking only at the Old Testament for our, our, our standard, if you will, for what God expected. And yet, Jesus was a risk taker. Uh, I don't know what it would have been like for you or me. Perhaps you or I, had we been there, we would have also looked at Jesus and said, what in the world are you doing? Why are you going around with these people? Possibly we would have been placing judgment on his decision making. But the Pharisees didn't seem to quite grasp the fact that all, of all the rules that they were developing all the rights and the wrongs of who you could befriend, who you should not befriend, were actually limiting their own ability to do their job. See, one of the problems is the Pharisees somewhere in history got a little confused and started allowing themselves to become the rules police, the policy mongers of their day. And so they were walking around looking for those things where they could catch someone not be the blessing that they were supposed to be. The Pharisees ideally would have been a people who would have been an encourager. They would be people who would have been encouraging people to come to know 
what it was to walk with God in a right way. Love was not found inside of the rules and policies that they created. What was found in the policies of the rules was the ability to make other people be like them. Every effort was in there to make people follow simple rules and regulations. And within that thinking, there is a great danger. And the danger is very much that we can follow the rules and we can follow the regulations never to fulfillment. But even when we do a decent job with following rules and regulations, if there is no love, the Scripture says that is not where God is. God is where the love is. In Jesus' words, we can see the church as a spiritual hospital because He said to the people, as we look in verses 13 through about verse 17 and 18, where He just simply says, you know, I'm here for a purpose. I see a problem and I come as a physician. I'm not looking for those people who are already doing okay. I'm not looking for those people who are religiously self-righteous or who have succeeded in their official outward approach to being a follower of God. I'm looking for those people who are obviously in need. Those are the people I'm concerned about. It is for that reason that I place myself with these people. Don't you have those same values? Risk-taking is viewed uh, by, by Christ as something that is important for us to do. I, um, in Hong Kong, as I look at the, uh, this particular section in here, what I see is that the selection of our friendships, who we befriend, is very important. Not saying we should be selective and say, let's just find the easy friendships, but let's at least find friendships with a sense of purpose. And in Christ's case in here, we can see that He very much, He knew what He was stepping into, and yet He said, I will with purpose be with these people. In Hong Kong, I have a friend, and you'll love this, I know, his name is Sam Wong. Now, Sam is not our Sam. Everywhere I go, it seems I bump into another Sam Wong. I know three here so far, and I'm sure there are many more to come. But um, Sam was a guy I met back a number of years ago. He was very unique to me. But I want to share a little bit of his testimony for you to understand his background. He was the fifth son of eight, all sons. He had a lot of brothers in his family. At the age of 15, he began to become involved with drugs. Within a few years, he decided to become a policeman because he was hoping to try to get himself outside of that circle of drugs, to try to move forward. And what he found was that drugs were more available once he became a policeman than even before. And he found that bribes were available everywhere once he became a policeman. He was jailed three times for corruption. He was, went into addiction for treatment five different times. And he told me that 
while being a policeman, it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity to make money because the corruption opportunities were so many. Now, those were in pre-ICAC days, if you know anything about Hong Kong. But the point is, he recognized the opportunities were everywhere to be, continue to find himself back into the drug environment. Gradually, the Spirit of God came into his life and he became a Christian. Today, he's known as the pastor of Temple Street, Neil Guy. Sam is a very different breed of guy. He does a lot of work with prostitutes. When you go to his church, which is on Meal Guy, uh, you will see just about every kind of person you can imagine. But Sam has started recognizing somewhere along the way that God loves all of those people. And he began to stretch his own life out into a different... Now, the problem for me was number of years back, I took Sam with me to a school in Hong Kong to share his testimony. When we got to the school and he started sharing how God was working, Sam is the most energetic. He almost makes me tired to watch because he walks around and he talks and, and he goes back and forth and he, he's just so active. His hands are moving all the time. But he's sharing his life. He's sharing the, with the, about the people that he works with. He's sharing about all the struggles. He talks about things that I find it even difficult to open my mouth and talk about. And he talks about it as if it was a daily experience. But he's talking about God working in the lives of those people who need him most. And he just shares and he pours out this love. It just flows out. But Sam doesn't have the seminary degree that you would expect. Sam is, quite honestly, rather charismatic, and I don't mean just he attracts people. That's Lian Pai, a little bit. But Sam's burden for the lost is very real. And I appreciated so much how he challenged my students to say, get up and stop being... Students that only want to function in a classroom. If we don't get out of this classroom, we're not much of a minister. Sam shared and shared. Of course, my problem was within two days, I had uh, some administrative stress placed upon me for having brought him into the class. I explained why I had him there, and uh, gradually it blew over. But it was not without challenge. The friend that I had was a friend of God. The friend that I had was one who wanted to find a way to serve the lost of Hong Kong. The friend that I had was very different from me. Theologically, he and I had many things that were very different. But down deep, he had Jesus in his heart. And he wanted that same Jesus to be in the lives of others. But my friendship brought a response. Just as Jesus says that we can prepare ourselves. If you dare to step beyond and step outside of the normal circle of the more 
appropriately dressed, appropriately acting individuals we call Christians and step into the world that's in need, sometimes you will come in contact with people that challenge you. We need to be their friends. We need to love them. The Scripture goes on. In verse 18, it goes to about verse 22. And here we see Christ. And he's in, in a situation, it says that that they were they were eating and 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 uh, his his disciples were were eating at that time and apparently it was at a time that there was one of their many festivals and probably it was the day of atonement because day of atonement was the only official scriptural reference to where we find uh, fasting is absolutely a required a requirement of the experience now there are about five other times that gradually we find in scripture where Fasting is built into a festival. But this is the number one uh, time when fasting was a part of it. And of course we recognize that the Pharisees saw fasting as sort of a, a chop of approval. It was very, very significant to them. And so they saw Jesus' disciples and John's disciples, and they were, or John's disciples and their own disciples were all fasting, but Jesus' disciples were not. And the Scripture says, as you look through those Scriptures in verse 18 to 22, that Jesus just says to them, why would they fast? I'm here. Fasting is asking for help from outside. They don't have to ask. I'm here. They don't have to be concerned. I'm available to them. They get the point. Fasting was because something was missing and a need existed. And Jesus tried to explain. But apparently the Pharisees just couldn't quite get it. They had, no, not, they had so much on their own agenda in their hearts that listening and learning was not part of it. Jesus could have said, oh, you're right, uh, I forgot. Our people just, uh, they, they went ahead, they should be fasting. I'm sorry, that was a mistake, but that's not what he said. He was prepared with an explanation. Jesus at this point was not trying to live up to the, ex, the expectations of the Pharisees. He was not willing to say, yes, you're right, we should all be in a box. And the box says, this is what is right. And this. He said, I believe you need to redefine the purpose of your box. Your box says, fasting now. I'm saying, look clearly why you fast. Evaluate for your own. But yet we love to build boxes, even ourselves. In the name of religion, the Sanhedrin of Israel was good at that process. Whether it be the elements of the Lord's Supper, or the special words spoken at a baptismal service, or who has the right to baptize, whether it's the eating of congealed blood in sweet and sour pork, which is what I find in China constantly as an issue, or the positioning of where the pulpit is located, or whether we have a pulpit at all. The playing of drums in a service, the necessity of specific types of prayer in our worship, our control on who is allowed to pray. There are always ways that we can build more boxes in the name of orthodoxy. There's a danger when we build those boxes because we're also holding some people away from the opportunity to come to know Christ as we live, we build a box and say, you must function within it. And Jesus said, no, fasting, on this, in this case, you have 
miss the point. We look on in the Scripture, verses 23 to 28, talking about the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was an important time. And the Scripture says, even, even as we look in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, that we're supposed to have a Sabbath. So the Sabbath was, is a scriptural idea. It's a significant thing. But Jesus goes ahead and he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is designed to help man, not for us to be controlled again by rules and regulations, but that we find a sense of joy and that it gives us a new energy to serve with more efficiency and more effectiveness. Outward man-made rules to satisfy the wishes of others. A problem. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Exodus 28, the fourth command. The Pharisees were uncomfortable with the fact that God's law didn't spell out what work was. So they made some rules. And here are a few examples. Out of the over 1,500 total listing of different laws that were designed by the Pharisees, I'll give you a few interesting ones. If a person walked more than 750 yards on the Sabbath, they had broken the Sabbath. A Jew could not tie a knot or kill fleas or flies on the Sabbath. He couldn't wear a heavy coat because taking the coat off or putting the coat on would be classified as working. A woman was not allowed to look in the mirror because she might see a gray hair and pull it out. And again, that would be reaping. For us, I think, when I look at this scripture and I see what Jesus was dealing with, I have to ask myself, do we ever in our day deal with people with a similar challenge? Do we ever have to deal with people that also are Pharisees? Are we ever a Pharisee ourselves? This group of people no longer exists positionally within the Jewish circle. If the Sabbath is for the purpose of helping man to rest and step away, especially from the pressures of daily experience uh, while focusing on God, the Pharisees had obviously forgotten their purpose and their task. This is where they became the religious patrol. If you today could, uh, I can certainly reflect on a situation I had a number of years ago where I was in uh, Malaysia, went in to preach for a church service, and um, I think I almost destroyed their world. I had already read prior to going there that the temperature over the days that I would be there would be between 34 and 36 degrees. This is like I was listening to Elizabeth share a few minutes ago stating that it rains a lot in Singapore, which it certainly does, because every time I've been there it's rained. But as she pointed out, it's usually about 35 degrees. It's really warm. And so I was prepared. When I went there, I knew what, I had already talked to uh, Peter Te, Jiang Weiman, and some other people. I, was, I knew what they had in Malaysia, in Singapore. I knew what the weather was like. And I got there to this large church to preach. And I noticed as I looked out in the congregation, there was not another stupid person to be found because they all were wearing short sleeve shirts. But I dared on that day to wear a short sleeve shirt. And I didn't have my coat. Wow, 
They panicked. Immediately, they started running around. And, you know, they have to find a, pa- church, a pastor or a person in their church that was big as me to be able to wear, give him a coat. You know, I'm sure if his, his words won't be blessed unless he has a, a coat on. Well, believe me, the guilt came after the service when my coat was soaking wet and I had to give it back to the guy who had loaned it to me. I was glad they found the guy, but I was sad for him. You know, I had filled their box with what made them think that something was important, but we still had defeated the purpose. Jesus saw this all the time around him. It's nothing new. The last scripture we'll look at is chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Helping people on the Sabbath. So we know there is a Sabbath, and we know the intent of the Sabbath is for us to focus on God, not for God to look at what we're wearing and how we act and what we do and focus on us. But in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, helping people on the Sabbath was also a no-no. All of these are no-nos, according to the Pharisees. And at this point, it says, and and, and I really have to read this one in chapter 3, uh, it says, verse 1, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply uh, distressed at their stubborn hearts and said, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and his hand completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how to kill Jesus. We don't want to be that kind of person. Our religion is not important. Our walk with Jesus is. Our walk with Jesus is. It's not about doing all the right things and the wrong things. It is about walking with Jesus as our Lord and Savior and getting His values, getting His ability to make right decisions and making decisions for His kingdom, not for our convenience. Did I just say that Jesus had an attitude of anger? There is even a a description of anger if we looked at it. It said it was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Now we talk about the difference between righteous indignation or righteous anger and then a person just getting angry. This anger was spiritual anger. God said... I love all men. And this is the point where Jesus says, loving man is one thing, but to not recognize the stupidity, the stubbornness would be irresponsible. This is wrong and I'm so tired. I'm tired of this. What does it take to communicate with these people? I remember a number of years ago when I was young, I was going to church on my way to church, 
drove by and I saw this lady who had, had a flat tire. She had a couple of kids with her. Pulled over to the side of the road and we helped her change the tire. Changed the tire, got back in the car, drove on to church. Got to church, hands filthy, dirty as could be, got grease all over them and everything else and I felt great. I felt great because God had allowed me a kid to be able to do something of value for his kingdom. I don't think God in any way would have looked at me and said anything other than, well done. It's not about the rules and the regulations. It's about the walk. The challenge is what is our walk. The, the topic that I had for today is, are there shades of black? I think there are shades of sin. I think there are issues, some that, I mean, you know, we, we can read in the Scripture. It gives us, and yet, with the Lord, we know. A little sin, a big sin, still makes us a sinner. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to recognize that, while at the same time, recognize that that even Jesus had to face people of sin, and He never marked them off. He always tried to find ways to reach into their lives. How does all of this apply to the lost of our society? You see, we have a challenge here in our church each week. It's one thing for us to come together and encourage each other as Christians. But we have to remind ourselves we exist for the people outside of this building. We exist to help them come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. If our relationship with Christ is not so valuable that we want to share it with our lost friends, there's a problem with our relationship. If we can remember as we look through this Scripture today, And we ask ourselves, how does all this apply to them? I'll have to say it this way. Yesterday I got in a conversation with some men and we were talking about commitment. And one of the, these were all ministers. One of the younger ministers in the room said, this generation has brought some new challenges. And one is, Many people want to accept Christ and they'll accept Jesus and they'll accept that you don't kill people, they'll accept you don't steal things, they'll accept those kinds of standards. But when it gets down to the, some of the fine line of what it takes to be a Christian and to have Christian values, that's where they begin to start choosing and saying, well, I don't really buy into that. Oh, I don't really, you know, this thing about abortion, I'm kind of flexible on that. Oh, I'm sort of, yeah, yeah, this thing about marriage, you know, whether you have to be married or whether you just live together, I'm kind of flexible on that. You start listening, and he said, he, was, he said, this is one of our challenges. We have so much of this flexibility. And I kept sitting and thinking to myself about the word commitment. You know, when you commit to something, a half commitment is almost no commitment. A half commitment says, I want to do it, but I want to do it my way. But it's saying, I'm not going to ever be willing to compromise challenge myself, stretch myself, whatever the term may be, to recognize that God's way is better than mine. My prayer for us as a church is that we will, in every way, seek to have God's way be our way. Let's pray. Father God, as we come together today, we have but one desire, and that is to find your will in our lives. We want our church to be a growing church, a loving church, a church of outreach that cares about all. But we want to do it because we're faithful to you in all things. Father, teach us what all things means 
And then give us the courage to let your values become ours. In Jesus' name.